Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 75 of the Tondal Tindu podcast. And on this groundbreaking episode, we're back with sports talk to talk about, as you all know, F1. And joining us to talk about just that are Faison and Jay. Hey, everyone. So, hi, everyone. I'm Jay. And the sport where expensive, deadly advertising boards race around in circles to the delight of millions of fans across the globe, is back. There's drama, redemption, glory, new cars, new drivers, returning faces, and of course, as is tradition for the sport, controversy and issues before the first race even starts. At the time of recording, their first race is about to start in 24 minutes. We'll be here for every step of the ride. Drive to Survive airs on Netflix. Jay uh, Faison. Let's just get into like the meat of things. Specifically, the last time you guys were on to talk about F1, we all know how last season ended. It was a very interesting finale, as we'll say. Verstappen winning his first title. Moving on to this season, I know at the end of last episode, we were previewing it, saying that this season is going to be very interesting with all the new rule changes and how the cars are going to look very different. Do you think you guys could like sort of like boil down the biggest changes to the rules and how that's going to affect the competition going forward? There's been a problem with modern F1 for a while now. The cars look like fighter jets, as Faison accurately called in the last episode, but they have a lot of complicated moving parts on their bodies that sort of creates, like when air passes through them, it creates turbulent air behind them, making it very hard for other cars to follow. And of course, in a sport about racing, we want to see good racing. And if there's turbulent air coming out from behind the cars... We can't have that because it's harder to get a slipstream from behind the other car. And that's it creates a whole host of aerodynamic issues for the other car. Going forward into 2022, they've regulated the wings and other parts, other aerodynamic parts of the car to make it see make it smoother and less complex in order to reduce the amount of turbulent air. But Formula One cars are very calculated, and so they don't put on parts for the sake of putting on parts. They will always do it for a purpose. And that purpose is mostly downforce. Now, downforce is uh, obviously a force that pushes the car down. And the reason that's good is because it keeps it like it keeps it close to the track and keeps the tire specifically sucked down to the track. So it can so that they can get much more grip and traction from the insane amounts of power that the en- engines are putting. So how do we solve the problem of downforce being lost through the simplification of the overbody? We introduced something that hasn't been in the sport for 40 years. It's a little thing called ground effect, where through the use of side skirts and tunnels under the, well, not actual tunnels, but like pockets of air under the car, they, the cars are built to channel a pocket of low pressure air under the car while high pressure air comes down from the from the wings and that plants the car firmly close to the track surface and increases the downforce meaning that f1 teams get less complicated cars less turbulent air but they don't lose significant downforce and don't lose grip and of course grip is very important because in racing it's not how fast you can go in a straight line that really defines you but really how you deal with the corners that separates your lap from the rest of the people that's the, the main changes. There's like several pages of technical regulations that you could read through if you want. I personally don't have the time or the energy despite being dedicated to the sport. So yeah, that's the major changes for this year. 
Yeah, and I think also one thing that I've seen is the rules are a lot more open to interpretation because we see all the cars having like their own sort of take on how to best maximize um, the new right? Because you look at like Ferrari's car and you look at like the other cars, they're all very different this year, even though they're playing to the same set of rules. Right. And I think that is the beauty of a new sort of era within F1. As as we talked about earlier, there's been different regulation changes that changes the shape of the cars. Well, for example, back in the 19... 19- 50s, the cars were nearly this complicated. They just looked like uh, a giant bullet with wheels. And now we've progressed a lot since then. And we've been they've, they've been regulated a lot since then, mostly for safety. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of variance in the, in the designs. And I think something of, that's been a little controversial is the side pods on the cars, uh, which are these like air inlets for the engine that are, of course, on the side of the car. Because teams like Mercedes have opted for very skinny sidepods and instead get their cooling for, from other places, while Ferrari have opted for a sidepod design that um, one Twitter user, I believe, said you could bathe a baby in it. So it's, so it's interesting to see like where teams have taken it and, of course, the level of success that each team is enjoying because of it. I mean, at this point, we can say that Ferrari's sidepod design um, does appear to be the one that is actually helping them because they are at the front of the pack this year. Charles Leclerc takes pole position with Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, and George Russell struggling towards the back. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what this does for competitiveness. And I think Jay and Rishwan, you guys do have some opinions on the competitiveness and the outlook as we head into the first race of the season. Yeah, uh, I believe so. And I think, um, you know, I'm just very happy to see Ferrari back on top because when I was a kid, I didn't understand anything about F1, but I would always look out for uh, the red car. and. Like regardless of where it placed, whenever it finished, it felt like it. It felt like they won. Um, so I'm glad to see them, you know, back on top. And as for Red Bull, they've been sort of steadily near the top for the last 12 years now. Uh, as as you know, they won the championship last year, and it seems like they've bounced back really well from these rule changes. But I think the main thing that I'm happy about um, was from the qualifying for Bahrain. It was very close at the top. They were within hundreds of a second of each other. It wasn't like one car absolutely obliterating the rest. And I think that is something that the sport has lacked for a while now, what with Mercedes domination. So it's I can't lie, it's a little satisfying to see Mercedes tumble to more middle of the pack. And that's the question that is on everybody's lips that we will soon find out. But Jay and Rishwan, what are your opinions? Is it really the end of Mercedes' domination of F1 that has been there for so long? Like, I remember, okay, Jay has been in F1 a lot longer than me. But 
I remember just growing up and seeing Hamilton, just beating everyone. That was F1, my, my introduction into the sport. And now to see more towards the back, the, the middle of the back. You guys think this is here to stay? I think as someone with a lot less uh, technical knowledge than Jay here, like my, my impressions are that I think that dominance is not going to be a thing anymore simply because Hamilton only has so many years left. And with all the rule changes, it's going to be hard for Mercedes to keep up. And especially since like they've replaced Bottas, which like, I guess for all his flaws, he was a steady competitor. I think George Russell's struggles uh, during qualifying yesterday only served to showcase the fact that there is a lot of work involved and like you have to be a good driver, even if the car is like amazing. So my gut feeling is that I guess they'll still be competitive, but they're not going to be like pulling away from the rest of the pack. Jay, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why we have new technical regulations, apart from uh, safety, um, and of course to increase, apart from safety, is to increase the competitiveness of the field overall, which is why they introduced things like a cost cap in 2021. I don't think they'll be the powerhouse they were from 2014 to 2021, but that doesn't mean that we should uh, discount them and say that, no, they're washed, they're finished, they're finished. Because remember, they have a steady development budget still. So I think the development race will be something that we continue to watch over the year as teams bring more upgrades to different parts. Because when when um, looking at a new set of technical regulations or uh, a formula, because that's ultimately why this word got its name, it's like the different formulas that you use for a car. When looking at a new formula, it's easy to say that one team will dominate based on early performance. but I think it shapes up over a season. Just uh, to give you some context for last season, the, the Red Bull at the beginning of the season last year, it definitely is not the same Red Bull that won the season at, like, at the end of last year. They had a consistent um, upgrade path and patterns. So I think it's something that we'll need to watch for the rest of the year because I definitely think that they could pull it back and get back into championship places. I mean, the first race certainly isn't the be-all, end-all indicator of things. Formula One, I mean, it changes a lot as it goes along, you know? But definitely there are like upgrades over the season and the car that starts is definitely not the car that finishes. Yeah, definitely. And I think what we're seeing is a result of like where teams get their engines from, really. Because Mercedes supplies Williams, McLaren, and Aston Martin and they're not doing, all of them are not doing so good relative to last year. I mean, Williams wasn't doing that good last year, but they're like back of the pack now, which is where, which is not where they were like before it was Haas and the Ferrari power teams, Haas, Alfa Romeo and Ferrari, obviously are doing really well. Like I, I have not seen an Alfa Romeo in the top 10 for ages. And the last time Haas had like a car in the top 10, was i think three years ago so it is like it, it's it's lovely to see this little redemption arc going on can we talk about kevin magnuson for a sec because i don't know much about him all i know is that Mazepin got job because obviously russian sanctions of a ukraine yada 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 who is he and how did he do so well in qualifying this time around magnuson is essentially so Magnuson used to drive for Haas. I think I'm not sure about the exact years he was there, but he was there for three years. And 
He left in 2020 because they obviously axed him in favor of Mazepin. So he had a year wait. He was in the IndyCar championship. And that then- was, I think that was Grosjean that went to IndyCar. I think Magnussen was, race, was racing in, um, I don't want to say rally, but he was definitely in like non-single-seater uh, series. But the interesting thing about Magnussen is that he's been there since the inception of us F1 team. They came into being in 2016, and he was there until um, 20, 2020. And and so he was like axed in favor of two rookies. Like him and Grosjean were axed in favor of two rookies. Um, Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. And now because of Mazepin being Russian and various other controversies that he's been involved in, he was out of a seat. And so Magnuson came back to sort of claim what was what was his, I guess. And so he's had a lot of experience with that team and in F1 in general. So I'm not, I'm surprised that the house are doing this well, but I'm not surprised that he's doing really well. I think the way you could look at it is Haas went to the two rookies and realized their mistakes that you need an experienced driver, right? You need somebody who can stay calm under the pressure because you look at like Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda. I mean, that's a classic case of why you need an experienced driver alongside your rookie. Yeah, for sure. I think like you could have a very good mentor-mentee kind of thing um, going on there. Do you think uh, that's but, something that Mercedes are going to have with Russell and Hamilton this season? Yeah, I think, and I think Hamilton's under a lot of pressure because, like you know, Russell has like a a big reputation in front of him. He was like Formula Two champion. If it weren't for some unfortunate tire, like some unfortunately bad pit stops in the Sakir Grand Prix in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty, sorry, uh, he would have won when Hamilton got COVID. And so a lot of people hype up Russell as like, you know, the next face of Mercedes. So Hamilton like might ha- will have some pressure going like, uh, going forward because he needs to like school the new kid on the block. And I think in qualifying, he did that because if I'm not wrong, Russell was about a second behind <laughs> Hamilton. So definitely a lot to learn. I have an interesting theory. I don't see Russell as a Bottas replacement. I see Russell as a Hamilton replacement down the line because Hamilton doesn't have like a lot of time. I think that he's being groomed together with Hamilton to be that main face of Mercedes, that next driver, you know, following when Hamilton is going to leave, which is why they brought him now. He wasn't replaced Bottas. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Russell is definitely not going to settle for a second. And I think a lot of people were expecting him to be more competitive than he's shown so far. But again, this is like only the first qualifying session of the season, not even the first race. So I think there's more to expect. But it's definitely a sort of, they've brought in Luke Skywalker and Hamilton is now his Obi-Wan. And so they're just like training him up to be a, like a number one driver in the future. Yeah, because they've invested a lot in him already. Like even when he was at Williams in the junior academy, everything. And he has a lot of talent, you cannot deny. So I think definitely um, Russell is going to be the face of Mercedes in the very near future, who knows? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's funny how like Mercedes has a tradition 
of associating associating British drivers to their brand. Because I think this goes back like uh, even to um, Jim Clark as well, who was like a, like a legend in his own right. And he used to race with, Miss, I believe it was Mercedes back in the day. I could be wrong though. Don't quote me on that. There was like there were a couple British, uh, there were a couple other British drivers that were sort of icons in Mercedes history. Yeah, definitely. I think because they've they've always had like um, this thing with like the British drivers and that British. Because when you go to Silverstone, Mercedes are so big, it's almost like it's their home track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of home tracks, I really miss the German Grand Prix. I mean, the the race at Hockenheim. I, I believe like the owners of the track didn't have enough money to pay because you know each circuit has like needs to pay money to like be licensed and like compete in the cha- like have a chance to compete in the champ because it brings a lot of revenue to them. But they're being phased out in term- like for more like people that are that are willing to pay. So, like the tracks in Saudi Arabia. For example, like the new one this year. So I, I mean, think- it's, I mean, it's interesting because, like, of course, you know, the new tracks, like the Saudi tracks, will obviously, like, you know, be very modern and all heavily funded. But like, it's sad to see iconic tracks go. You know. Yeah, of course. Like I'm Malaysian, and I'm personally really sad to see Sepang not be represented anymore on the F1 yeah. circuit. It's kind of sad, especially since that was such an entertaining race. Like it was a well-designed track, whereas like Saudi Arabia, it like it's a it's a decent track, but there's no real like hard braking zones and like those braking zones like i said are like what differentiates one uh driver and car from another right? it feels like, like there's well no character in those new tracks exactly i mean it just maybe because it doesn't have the history yet they're they're well funded you know you have, you have like four grand prix out of 22 in the middle east that's like a new pattern yeah i mean I don't know. I think we can talk a little bit about the hypocrisy of the sport where they champion diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they they have like a message of free race as one. And that's awesome. I love that message. But they still continue to race in numerous countries with lots of human human rights violations just because, you know, cash is king with the sport. It's definitely interesting, like, to see the dichotomy of it all. Okay, but I do think that's also every sport, right? Like you look at football and like how we're having a World Cup in Qatar all of a sudden. So I don't think yeah. it's just like an F1 thing. I think sport in general general has just been like on this path. Whichever, like if you have the funds, you're probably going to get what you need. Unless, of course, you're owned by a Russian oligarch, in which case you're probably but not going to do too if well. If you're owned by a Russian oligarch, that means you don't have the funds anymore because like, you know, their assets are frozen. Oh man, it's so it's like it's so weird to see like what Chelsea like. I know this is an F one podcast episode, but it's a sports it's talk weird to see what Chelsea well. will do now that their Russian owner has been like frozen out. It will be very interesting because I think a lot of fans may get defensive, but like because he was a Russian oligarch, he could spend. He could just he could just spend limitlessly, underwrite all their debts. Don't need to comply with financial fair play. Like just hypothetically, if they get bought over by like an American owner or owner or like a consortium, there's no guarantee that that spending is going to continue. It's undeniable that that spending was what led to like such a dominant period for them. I don't know. I see it as sort of things sort of regulating back to what it should be, but I don't. I don't think they'll be as dominant as they used to be. 
Although on that note, it's kind of strange considering Haas is also owned by a Russian oligarch and they've always been bottom of the grid anyways. I mean, no, they're not really owned by them. It's just that Duralkali sponsored like them as a t- were a title sponsor, but they're still owned by an American. And so I believe that them taking Mazepin out of their team and abandoning their Russian flag livery, even though the livery right now kind of looks like a little black marker, from being honest, I believe that's like a huge move of of them really putting their money where their mouth is, right? Because it would have been like, I don't think it would have been hugely consequential to them to just like stick with the driver, driver lineup and livery that they had, but they took a stand for what they believed in. And I think a lot of people respect that. And especially since they're bringing like an old favorite face back into the sport, I think they have like a lot of opportunity for sponsorship there. It's like the way That'll... I see it, like they're doing the right thing by taking a stance on this, but they're also sort of like consolidating their ownership and like, hey, we actually have a say in things and here's how we want to run things. Haas has always been laughed off, right? And been like, oh, you guys are just trash. Yeah, we've contributed to that, I think, to some extent. I mean, that won't change immediately, but just my point being like, from being like a joke, at least now people have like... A shred of respect for them. Like it could be understand. worse. You could be Williams. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Williams have been down bad for a while now. Um, their glory days were, uh, in much like a lot of questionable fashion choices, their glory days were in the 90s and they're not making a comeback anytime soon, I don't think. Mascapito. Mm-hmm. Wonder what he's going to do this season with Alex Albon and. Latifi. Yeah, I'm glad Alex Albon is back in sport. I believe he was unfairly treated at Red Bull, always being like considered a second driver. And of course, he had some unfortunate incidents where he could have gotten much better results, but he was, um, uh, how do you say, punted off by Hamilton, who received barely any consequences for it. Uh, that happened. That happened twice, actually, in his career with Red Bull. But he managed to... Like, you know, he took some time away from the sport and now he's back with uh, a team that isn't going to like drop him for another person in the junior academy so quickly. So that's really nice to see. You know, speaking of second drivers, Nico Hulkenberg back on the grid. Oh, yes. Oh, man, that guy. I feel for that guy because he has the record for most, I think, most races without a podium. And that's not a record. That's not really a record to be envious of. But the fact that he's like, he slapped up Lance Stroll, someone who's been with the team for years now. After just like one weekend of like free practice, is telling to me. Yeah, because the thing about Hockenberg is, even though he has that unwanted record, I think as a he's a F one driver in his DNA, right? Lance Stroll just like. Because obviously Lawrence Stroll owns um, Aston Martin, Mercedes. So I think Lance Stroll has kind of had it a bit easy. But Hockenberg has had to fight a lot for everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think he had a really good shot at a podium when he was back, like when he was with Renault. But unfortunately, like bad weather conditions and strategy prevented him from doing that. That unfortunate race. I mean, I don't know that like that race led to a 50 second pit stop from Mercedes. 
So I found that pretty funny. Yeah. But just I wanted him to get at least one podium. Yeah. Yeah, just to, just so he can end it already. That isn't an ongoing record. I although like I think not with this Aston Martin, I don't think. Like, you know, the race is like started. And like apparently Magnuson is up to fifth. Let's go. Let's go, dude. Oh my god. What a what a yo, who got out like who was yeah, who who lost their who lost their place? So, so oh, Russell is down, down to sixth. Russell just Perez and Russell are down bad. Oh, this is a this is a good time. Oh wait. Oh, Bottas went to 14. Jeez. Oh my god, he fell off. Ricardo's last. Ricardo's last. Okay. Zoo's also like second to last. Let me pin strong. Norris and 15. Yeah, this is I need to see what happened because surely there was some incident. It must be. I believe you're on lap two right now. Yeah, I'm looking at Google right now, and it's yeah, lap two because Google has like a live update on this stuff, so that's pretty cool. Hamilton got ahead of Sergio Perez. Yeah, as expected. Um, so it's a Ferrari one three right now. I like that. I really like that. It's the same as in qualifying. Hamilton fourth and Hamilton seventh. You would expect Hamilton to like continue pushing. As he always will. Well, that guy's a good. You cannot argue about that. He announced recently that he was coming into the season with the same emphasis, like the same energy he had in his karting days, which is why he's running a yellow helmet instead of a black and purple one that he usually has. Um, and I think he's going to need to come with a little more energy if, he ne- if he's going to do what he hopes to do. I think what I've seen this season from Hamilton is obviously after Abu Dhabi, he took time to like get out from the sport. And so that's also helping to his like new perspective and him coming back with that bingo march to his like to his start. Because he knows deep within him, he doesn't have all that time left. So for him, it's now like bingo march to the past because he knows. He's in that twilight now. Yeah. I think this is like a general discussion. Like, I think that opens up a general discussion of like when athletes should leave. Like, do you leave when you're on top or do you want to keep going and potentially tarnish your legacy in the process? Yeah. Because I think, yeah, there's a very fine line because obviously Hamilton's not done yet. But I think if Mercedes are like the middle of the pack, running on for a few years. I think that's when end of 2023, when his contract ends, might be a time to think about it. Yeah. Oh, and just, we're not live coverage, but uh, Perez just took over, uh, took overtook Magnuson. Yeah, he's fifth now. Well, predictions, naturally. Yeah, that's the one thing that we still need to do. Although it's this early on in the season. Let's at least predict your top three drivers and then constructors. Oh, oh man. That's like choosing between my kids. You can't make me do that. 
Come on, man. Yeah, but there's only one winner at the end of the season. <sighs> Personally, okay, well. okay, but are, let let's decide a framework. Are we gonna do this rationally, or are we gonna predict what we who we want to be up top? I mean, I don't think you can do it fully rationally, though, because, because like again, this is still early days. Because my heart beats very strongly for Ferrari, just because of, of pure, on pure nostalgia alone. Yeah, for me, I want Hamilton to win just one more time, just one more eight world championship, and then that's it for me with like Mercedes. I just for like nostalgia with like Hamilton having done what he's done and having like spoken a lot for like people who are suffering, just transcending his sport. I want him to win one more time. Um, yeah. I think also like looking at Verstappen, like, you know, that new young gun who I think, I think Verstappen also will have his time at a point. And of course, Ferrari. Yeah, I'm inclined to like agree with Richmond here. Uh, I th- I'm thinking Ferrari all the way. If Leclerc or Sainz can win a world championship, that'd be great. But the one thing I'd want to avoid is how it was in the early 2000s. I'm saying this like I was like even conscious in the early 2000s. I wasn't alive for three years of them. But anyway, um, back in the early 2000s when it was Schumacher and Barrichello, Barrichello was very clearly driver number two and Schumacher was number one. I think very a very egregious example of this was, I believe in the 2002 Austrian Grand Prix, Schumacher had all but wrapped up the title. It was a matter of uh, one or two races before it was mathematically impossible for anyone to win. And yet, they, and Barrichello was in the lead and they still um, told Barrichello to slow down and let Schumacher by to win the race. Uh, even though like it was completely inconsequential, they didn't let him have his win. It's like how Bottas is how Bottas was treated at Mercedes for the last like five years, four years or so. But I th- I would say a, a little worse actually. Yeah, because yeah, definitely. But the good thing for Bottas now is that Alfa Romeo is that he can actually be their quote like main driver because he has the experience and he's gonna get to push however high he wants to still looks very weird seeing him at Alfa Romeo but I'm happy for him but also on that note I think just that have Ferrari having both Leclerc and Sainz being two very competitive drivers I think it's I don't think there can be a hierarchy simply just because there's so it's very polarizing to think it's very difficult to choose between the two like they're both very good drivers on their day so I think I think it would it sort of be like Hamilton and Rosberg, maybe if we could have something like that in like Rosberg's final season, that would be nice to see. Having two drivers who complement each other is very good. See, because this is what brings you the constructors championship, especially. It's because of how good both Hamilton and Bottas were. Like Bottas also on his day, a very good driver. That's what helped Mercedes. And so the fact that both like Leclerc and Leclerc and Sainz are excellent, excellent drivers, and you can't pick or choose between them, is what bodes well for Ferrari. Okay, on that note, I just want to pull back. So like 
we're watching the race live as we record, and now we're currently on lap eight. And you look at the top six: Ferrari, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, Mercedes. So, I think it's kind of obvious that that's going to be the top three constructors. It's just the order that we can't really determine. Yeah, for sure. Well, Bottas is down at thirteenth. That's that's interesting. That's depressing. That's that's quite depressing. And we're watching him get overtaken right now, actually. Yeah, he yeah, the move has been completed. This hurts. This really hurts to watch, considering how good he was in qualifying. To see him drop that quickly is depressing, at least. You know, I think this is best embodied by George Russell, right? The guy we're talking about who just joined Mercedes. He earned the nickname Mr. Saturday because he was really good in qualifying, but he couldn't hold that energy through the race. So I think it's a very interesting discussion to be like what it means to be a well-rounded driver in both qualifying and the race, because qualifying is more about finding your pace on one lap. So it's like about pushing extremely hard, but then with like actual race driving, it's more about race craft and like how you can like manipulate your tires to to hold for the longest for the longest duration and how you like how you plan your overtakes and strategy and i think like that's where more of the team comes in right because f1 as much as it is driver centric at the end of the day it's a team sport so if you don't have like a solid team behind you or even if you do sometimes you just don't make you just don't take full advantage of it and he has a lot riding on this year honestly and i think that if he doesn't show up this year, I think that's like the beginning of the end for him. I, I I hate to count him out because people were saying the same thing after he failed to replicate his success after 2008, but it's not 2008 anymore. And this is ultimately someone of a young man's sport. So we'll see how he does. But I think that he really needs to step up this year. Otherwise, he's like down for the count. This is like make or break year for him. If he doesn't win that eighth world championship this year, he's not going to win it. Yeah, he's just said his tires have no grip. He this just went like, into the pits. What does he mean? I know. <laughs> this is this does not look good. This is yeah, I mean, last like, year to actually, okay, let's go. Back in yeah. I mean, for context, I mean, Hamilton just like skidded on his way out of the pits. They're showing that on a replay with what we're watching right now. And uh, oh well, he's fighting off Joe on you pretty pretty convincingly. But considering the caliber of the machinery, I would expect that. Yeah, no, definitely. Hamilton being a place behind Bottas, there's a sight. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think they call that poetic justice. All right, and I guess to sort of like wrap this up, wrap wrap this up, right? Let's. Let's just talk broadly about what are we expecting to see? I think a lot of closer fights, definitely. Because like when you look at it, F1, like you can break it down into multiple arcs or like different storylines. Like you can choose to focus on a battle for like the top three, or you can choose to focus on like the mid the mid-table battle, or you can choose to focus on like Hamilton's redemption arc. Or is this the beginning for the end for him? Like what storylines do you think are gonna be key? That's a very good question. Yeah. If you had to like do, no, let's, let's look at it this way. Let's each give, if we were to do a drive to survive season five, like we were to direct it, each one, 
what, what, would, what would be the story of that episode? Um, I would just have an episode full of Gunther Steiner interviews. I think, I think he's a very funny person. <laughs> but I think also like just focusing on where Haas are now compared to like being back at the pack for the last two years. I think it would be a very interesting. So yeah, I think like, I think focusing on just like the variance between the two drivers, as well as the, uh, like just the redemption arc almost for Magnuson would make for a very interesting episode. Like just talking about the business decisions they've made over the past few years. Yeah. I think I would definitely talk about like Hamilton because it's now or never for him, if we're being very honest. There's like younger drivers who are up and coming. Ferrari have never looked stronger. You have Red Bull, you know. Things, like Jay said, are not as they used to be. And so, there's like Hamilton is like one of the goats of this sport. Like the Tom Brady of the F1, you know. And just the question of whether does he have it in him to still prove everyone wrong when the doubts have never been greater would just make for like an incredible episode, I think, you know. He's down, but is he finally out? No, totally. How are you? Well, Personally, just because I have a soft spot for Ferrari, definitely I would have an episode focusing on how they were able to claw their way back, especially especially after how disappointing 2020 has been for them. I think that the fact that they can have now they have two good drivers and like a good car with a good engine, I think like this could finally be their year. It will be interesting to see the process behind it, how they were able to take steps to be able to like claw like catch up in a sense. But definitely, I think a focus on like some of the drivers we don't talk about, like how is how is Bottas going to do after leaving Mercedes and being a main driver in his own right? I mean, as of right now, not too great, but there's still time. We'll ha- we'll have to see. That's the thing about F1. Like sometimes the things that you predict at the very start may not always come to fruition at the end of the season because it is a long season after all. Yeah. I think also, um, I think this would be a good note to wrap it up is change, right? Like looking at change within sport and how you have to move with the times, like definitely with the new regulations and everything, showing that, you know, times definitely do change and how that can, that's a good thing and not a bad thing, you know, um, because you get comfortable with the status quo, like, Mercedes just dominating, Red Bull being second, Ferrari third. But just talking about how like the change allows you to see things in a new light. Like finally seeing Ferrari back at the top. If there weren't these new rule changes, it might not have happened, you know? Also in the aftermath of Abu Dhabi and like the FIA's report and the changes that have been made with Michael Massey. I mean, there's so much. We didn't even get to that. But with Michael Massey being removed as race director, I think to see whether the decisions that are made this this season are going to actually be more consistent. So I think it's in many ways a new start from the cars to the regulations to just race control and decisions. Just watch it because it's like a brand new fresh start. 
yeah, I guess all I can really say is as we watch like Verstappen try to overtake Leclerc and then Leclerc winning the position back, I guess what I can just take from it is it's called motor racing. That's basically what it is. So watch it because motor racing is fun. There's drama, excitement. There's no bigger adver- advertisement for the sport than like actually to see it for yourself. And if you like more of that drama, do tune into the F1 season. Do follow do follow along with it. We'll definitely be covering the F1 season more as the season progresses. Def- f- definitely for sure, Jay, we'll be having you back on at the end of the season to have our final thoughts and look back at what we thought on how we thought the season was going to play out. Yeah, and with that being said, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Tondul Tate Podcast. If you like this kind of content, do be sure to give us a like on Sp- and like on Instagram, follow us on Spotify, and we hope to see you in the next episode. Goodbye.